Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. In this episode, we talk with Carrie Engel, Retail Greenhouse Manager at Valley View Farms in Cockeysville, Maryland, all about annual flower combinations. She shares with us some of those great annuals that she's been trialing and will be hitting the store soon. The plant profile is on Summer Snowflake, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local garden events in the What's New segment. This episode, we're joined by Carrie Engel of Valley View Farms in Cockeysville, Maryland. We're going to talk to her all about annual combinations. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Kathy. It's great to have you on, and I can't wait to go and visit your garden center in person this season and do a ton of shopping. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but I would like for you, I, you know, I, I, uh, to get the weather straight because mm-hmm. this is driving me nuts. We've been getting in tropicals over the last two weeks, and I don't really have a place to put them. So we've been putting them in trucks, in box sheds, all kinds of stuff, just trying to keep them nice. It's, it's, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for the frost to be gone. Yeah, we're calling this season winter spring slash back and forth. <laughs> it's been a seesaw here in the Mid-Atlantic. For those elsewhere in the world, we're having a, a frost and freeze alert again tonight. So it's been, you know, pretty much into late April, a lot a lot cooler than normal for us. But that's actually been somewhat good in the garden, but maybe not so good in the garden center. Um, <laughs> the stuff comes in and it looks beautiful. And all of a sudden you go out there and all the little Diplodidia and Mandavia blooms are just kind of going, oh, come on, ooh. bring back Florida. <laughs> yeah, that's tough on them. Although it has made some of the like tulips and other blooms last much longer in the garden. So having the cool temps does have a little bit of a plus side there. Absolutely. I'm just not looking forward to all the phone calls we get as to why people's hydrangeas might not be blooming when they're supposed to a little bit later on, but we'll see. <laughs> well, things will even out. They all bloom in the end pretty they much. Do. right? So Let's start by talking about you, Carrie, and a little bit about your background and how you got to Valley View Farm. So we like to ask here at the Garden DC podcast, were you born with chlorophyll in your veins? <laughs> Did you have a green thumb coming out of the womb? Absolutely not. Um, my maiden name is Fern, so that <laughs> is helpful, but it really hasn't played into the career I chose. Um, when I was 16 years old, I was in the 10th grade at, at our local high school, and we're northern, we lived in northern Baltimore County, so there weren't a lot of places to work, especially where they were hiring kids. Uh, Valley View Farms happened to be one of them. So I figured out how to get down there before I got my driver's license, and they put me initially in the produce department. Valley View Farm started out as a garden center, but mainly a produce stand, and they brought things over from the farm, and we brought over cantaloupe and tomatoes and sweet corn and all those things. And I remember being at the scale weighing produce for people, and I didn't know cabbage from lettuce. We didn't eat a lot of vegetables in my family. Uh, my parents were from the Midwest, but you know, big meat eaters 
a lot of canned food back in the day, and we finally moved to frozen foods. And then little by little, we really got gardens growing. And as I became a 16-year-old smart aleck, knew everything, of course, I you know planted all sorts of gardens all over the place and got my parents to try a lot of new things, which was kind of fun. So you started off at a very young age at Valley View Farms and have been there ever since. Sort of. I did leave for five years in 1980 and I came back in 85. A new guy came into town. I don't know if you remember Frank's Nursery and Crafts, but they came into town and I felt like I wasn't working up to my potential at Valley View Farms at the time. I had gone to college for a little bit, but backed off of it. And because I really enjoyed working, I enjoyed making money. I love customers. I love talking to the public. And I kind of backed off and didn't really like where I was headed. So I changed and went to Frank's Nursery, had a short, five, well, not that short, five years there. And then Valley View Farms was building a state-of-the-art retail greenhouse in 1985. And um, I started back there and I've been there ever since and have truly, truly loved it and love the people I work for and work with. So I've been very, very lucky. And for those outside the Mid-Atlantic area, let's describe where Valley View Farms is and maybe some of the offerings. Okay, so if you're looking at a Maryland map, we're halfway between Baltimore, Maryland and York, Pennsylvania. So if you go straight up Interstate 83, we're, we're about halfway there. So we're only about a mile or so off of 83. So that's been good for us. An awful lot of our growers are north of us and they might deliver to DC and Northern Virginia. And it's really easy to give them a quick call and say, hey, on your way, can you drop by, you know, 60 dahlias or something that I needed for a customer? So that's been very, very good. So we're in zone, I guess it's zone seven for most of the area we serve. We do have a couple zone sixes as you get up towards what we call the Hereford zone and northern Baltimore County. And as you get a little bit west, the weather's a little bit different. But all in all, we're, we're a solid, you know, solid seven as you look at the USDA zones. And our garden center has been around since 1962, so 10 years longer than I have been. And we started out again as a produce stand, a little roadside stand, and morphed into a Christmas shop and really top garden center. And we took our farm where we had been growing all that corn and tomatoes and all that, and we started growing a lot of our own transplants. So this weekend, we'll have over 70 varieties of tomato plants and almost 40 varieties of peppers, in addition to just hundreds, probably thousands of hanging baskets we grow our annuals and our vegetable plants for the most part. Um, Our area is so rich in perennial growers. I think some of the absolute top perennial growers in the country are located right here in Maryland. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very lucky to have that. So we buy most of that in to resell. And same with a lot of the nurseries and everything. We we get most of our things pretty regionally, pretty locally for the most part. So um, it's been great for us and for our customers that we really have so many good suppliers right here. And I think it's a little unique um, in the area for you to be growing so many of those annuals and vegetables for your own production in the store. Yeah. And the farm, our farm greenhouses are about 12 miles away from Valley View. So I'll go over there a couple of times a week just to see things, how look, how things are looking and if there are some things we like need to take while they're at their peak. Uh, but on the flip side, again, if if we don't have it ready, we have all these other growers around here that we can really count on to bring things in. So we don't grow our own herbs because we have a fantastic company a half hour away that does that for us. And they go by every single day as they're delivered to other people. So that just works out phenomenally well. And growing growing our own, we we did a little bit of that early in the 80s. But I'll be honest with you, when Home Depot and Lowe's moved in, 
we found that our growers couldn't always deliver plants the way we wanted them. Uh, you know, we wanted to bring plants in that were in bloom or were in bud and Home Depot buyers were getting them ahead of time. That was before places like Bell Nursery really became their primary source. So we started growing some of our own. And a lot of that came from going out to Ohio to what is now Cultivate and talking to growers out there, talking to some of the people that really started proving winners and them showing us the different ways we can use plants and do more with containers. And it's, it's really just grown from there. It's really been a nice way to, I think, interact both with the public and getting us outside and learning more and more about plants all the time. So are you growing many of the annuals from seed or from started plugs, or is it a combination? It is a combination. I'm going to say all the vegetables we grow from seed. So it can be, we actually sell beans and peas from seed. I think we probably only have to start them seven or 10 days ahead of time before we can sell them at the garden center. On the flip side, we also sell things like artichoke that take much, much longer from seed. On the flip side, most of our flowers, we get in plugs. A lot of them are vegetatively propagated. A lot of the like serfinia type petunias or calabricoa, a lot of the things that people have become really familiar with in the annual garden, we do start in, we get them in in plug trays and pot them up into either a four and a half inch pot, six inch pot, eight inch pot, hanging baskets, and then we can mix some in our larger containers. And how do you make the decisions for some of those annual flowers that you choose to grow and, and like quantities? Is there a whole science behind that? There is, and we change it every year. So we have a, a book that, that I look at every year with our grower and get input from a lot of the other employees and from customers, to be honest. And we take a look at a few things. One, we look at what people are asking for. I can't say we look at trends as much as we sort of listen and say, hey, we didn't like the blue petunia we had last year, so we go out and try to find another one. We also, to try to make it a little easier on our grower sometimes, we'll try to grow a series of plants. So if we're growing, let's go back to Calabricoa, we might look for a particular series where all the colors will be ready at about the same time, so we can ship up about the same time, so our table has the 10 varieties that we want on it. And to find those varieties, we do a lot of different things. Again, we, uh, we listen to the the trials that are held in California every year. We also go to local trials. We have a great one right up in Lancaster at Landisville that's part of Penn State and take a look and really just see how they grow. Uh, sometimes we'll bring them home in our own gardens and see how they make out, what varieties. Ball Seed has trial gardens out in West Chicago. We'll check that out. And even if we don't aren't able to get there. Everything is available online. You can go to Raker Roberts and see what's happening there. Even though they're out in Michigan, uh, we can take some of that information and plug it into what we want to see in Maryland and, and do a lot of it from that. And then sometimes we goof. So years ago, we grew a plant called Serena Angelonia. It broke just too often. It just couldn't handle the retail mm -hmm. people brushing their arm over it kind of thing. So we, we switched to a different variety and it does much better for us, but we pick up, the serene is grown from seed. The other ones are grown from cuttings and we picked up angel face and some of the other varieties. They just hold up a lot better when we are really, really pressed with customers, with shopping carts, with people just, you know, en masse going in and buying their plants. So I've seen the Chicago trials and I'm very familiar with the California trials. Um, so when you're going out or looking at those selections, how do you know that those plants can stand up to the mid-Atlantic heat and humidity in our summers? 
like I said, some of it is, Landisville is sort of our final word on that because they're only about an hour from Valley View. So they really do match up to ours. And I'll be honest, I've been out at fall sea trials out in West Chicago and the gardens have been at 90 to 100 degrees. And you look around and you see what makes it. And that was the first year we carried Angelonia. And that was the first year we carried Dragonwing Begonias because they just, they, they held up, they did the job. And you'll read all sorts of things in um, a lot of the trade magazines to see how things do. And you read between the lines a little bit. So if uh, Diacea or Nemesia are touted as a cool weather plant, we'll get them for cool weather, but that some of them will say they do okay in warm weather too. And we'll find out that that's not necessarily true to that particular variety. So we'll keep looking until we can find something that matches what we think our consumers are looking for, what our gardeners are looking for, and what will actually hold up in their gardens. And for the annual season, do you define that kind of as Mother's Day through Labor Day or a little bit before, a little after that? You know, we try to break it down even more than that. So we have sort of a cool weather annual season that takes us late February, early March to about now or maybe to about Mother's Day. And that would include some biannuals too, like pansies, osteospermum, snapdragons, dusty miller, alyssum, a lot of the petunias that'll handle some of the cooler temperatures. And then some of those can continue and go into the hotter temperatures, but things like begonias and impatience really aren't going to do well until we're sure all danger of frost is gone. So that really picks up more in May, uh, the first of May around here and take us through, it seems like October, November. I feel like the the frosts are coming later in the spring lately, but they also are coming later in the fall. So we do get a nice long season. And some of those plants do great right on through. Others, you know, you go on vacation, you come back and you look at your gardens and your containers and go, eh, maybe they don't look so good. So you might pull some of the plants that aren't performing as well and you'll throw something new in that might take you through fall. A lot of the celosias are especially beautiful in the fall and some coleus have some beautiful colors as you get into fall. And then you have mums and cabbage and the flowering cabbage and kale and some of the perennials that we sort of sneak over into the annual area even if they are perennials and we put some of the grasses and everything in our containers so i you know we have probably three seasons of annuals but the big one is definitely from uh about now or mother's day until like as you said probably late september or mid-october Mm-hmm. And I think that goes hand in hand with our vegetable growing in the Mid-Atlantic as well, where you have the cool shoulder seasons with the long summer in between, um, and you can do some transitions. And some things will eke their way through <laughs> even over right. the winter time. <laughs> yeah, I've even had a few um, annual flowers that are supposedly annual right winter over uh, for me. And I had you know, some calabracoa for two winters in a row, but this right. last winter that did not happen. <laughs> this last January, you know, <laughs> did them all in. I was not able to get those to eke over, but definitely through December was yeah. fine. Yep. And then you have a lot of those things like verbena that probably started off as perennials and then were bred to get more color and everything as annual. So they might not make it every year, but they make it a lot of years. And as you said, calabracoa up against my house and I used to have a hot tub up against the hot tub, they managed it for a few seasons and they kind of, then they kind of give it up. And so when you're starting the plugs, do you ever start them as combinations in a container or do you plant them out after they've been a little bit grown on? So we, we don't do many containers at the store. Most of it is done over at our growing greenhouse that's in Hydes, Maryland. If anybody knows where Warty Vineyards are, if you're into wine, 
Um, they're right over the hill from there. So we do a combination there. Uh, geraniums are big sellers for us still, and people will laugh, but geranium spike vincovine, as old as that combination is, is still one of our best sellers. We use, you know, good looking, nice geraniums, fantastic colors, throw a spike in the middle and vincovine at the edges and people like it. So, you know, we're not going to stop mm -hmm. from that, but our larger hanging baskets, we use geranium, maybe with bacopa and maybe with calabacoa, and we'll plant those out separately. There are other things though, that a lot of the seed companies or a lot of the plant companies have come through and they've put it together for you. So for example, calabacoa, there's three different companies that put combinations together sort of for you. And we probably have 40 different combinations of calabacoa colors. It's, it's unbelievable, but it's a great seller for us. We keep on doing it. And when those plugs come in, they fuse three colors together. So maybe they'll put yellow, blue, and red. There'll be three separate plugs, but they're kind of fused together. So you plant them as one bigger plug. Hmm. If you were to put that in, say, a 10-inch hanging basket, and you gave it about eight weeks, it would fill out the basket beautifully. Instead, we put two of those together so we can get that hanging basket in maybe five to six weeks, have it ready to sell. And the colors are amazing because we grow, we take both of those three fused plugs sort of put them together in the center of the basket in most cases, and the plants grow out. So you just have this beautiful mix of colors and you really can't tell where one variety starts and another one ends. It, it just, it's, it's really super the way they've done it. And they'll do the same thing. Maybe put a combination of verbena together with the calabacoa together with a petunia, and they might do a mono, monochromatic color, maybe just all blues or all pinks. But again, they'll do some mixes that might have complementary or contrasting colors. And it really makes for a nice hanging basket. In our larger pots, we do a 13-inch basket. We'll put maybe three of those plugs in there. And they just, they're beautiful. I mean, right now, they're just absolutely, we have some of our cool weather mixes have Bidens and some of the petunias and maybe some verbena in it. And the colors are just really, really beautiful. And they can handle the cooler temperatures right now. So, you know, we'll trans transition over to begonias and fuchsia and things as the weather warms up a little bit. Hmm. You said one of my favorite annuals of all time, which is fuchsia. Just cannot <laughs> get enough of hanging baskets of fuchsia. And I don't feel like they sell enough of them at our local nurseries. We, yeah, we do. You know, it's, it, that, that's kind of a funny thing. You have to, when you buy a plug tray or something from a company, you're going to get a hundred, 102 in most cases. So let's say we put three of those plugs in a hanging basket. We have to do at least 33, 34 baskets of that one variety. Fuchsia, there are a lot of super, super beautiful varieties, but the one that sells the best is that dark purple with the red flower, excuse me, red with the purple flower, but there are like some white varieties or white and pink varieties. So we'll maybe do 50 of those baskets to 150 of the, the dark purple and red. We, again, be, because we have to grow so many, we only sell to us. So we're every most I was just 95% of what we grow we bring over to the store and sell there we do have a couple other people that buy a few things but if we want like there's a beautiful black fuchsia that we get from one of our growers up in southern Pennsylvania hmm. and we just count on her to sell us those it, we mainly sell 12 of those baskets all season but we know she has them and we can get them in when it's prime time fuchsia so if, you know if you haven't found one you just let me know what you want <laughs> <laughs> definitely so do you ever do and i mean you as in the staff of valley view um custom container plantings for people that come into the store or do you have the pre-done ones and then everybody everything else is diy 
uh, both. Um, so, so most of what we sell are the ones that are already finished, but we have some customers that count on us. Um, some will come in and you'll sort of walk through the whole area with them, trying to find out what colors they might like, what kind of height they want. You know, do they want to pick out their pot ahead of time or they bring in pots back from last year that they want to refill? And we certainly do that. And, and we charge for that, obviously. Uh, we also we also have some people that come in and go, hey, I love the way Ruth did my pots last year. When is she here? I'll tell her what I want. And we just take care of it that way too. So we do do a lot of that. It does, um, as far as retail goes, it slows us down a little bit, but we're happy to do it. It's just hard for us to do it like first, second, third week of May. After that, we really have a little bit more time and can can take better care of people that are looking for some of those custom planters. Yeah, I can imagine that <laughs> that would be a time-consuming customer service, but that is a great customer service. It really is. And, we, you know, it, you've got to charge for everything in these days because costs on everything has gone up, whether it's plastics, labor, uh, trying to get things delivered on our trucks, all of that goes up. So we just find that we have to charge for that. And I think as long as you're providing a good product, people are okay with, with paying the extra price that some of those services are going to cost. And speaking of plastics, what type of pots or containers are you using for those combinations? We sell a lot of different things. So we started doing direct importing from Asia some years ago and some other areas, but a lot of it comes out of Malaysia, China, that sort of thing. And we bring in whole containers of containers. So we sell a lot of ceramics. I will say during the height of COVID, we had a hard time getting a lot of that in. We do sell plastic pots too, um, pretty basic stuff, sort of a lot of a clay, gray, or green planter. We sell a lot of cocoa moss hay rack and empty um, hanging basket planters. There are all sorts of planters that might have um, watering. What do I want to say? Like automatic watering. I know what I want. Self-watering containers. Mm -hmm. And there are some just really generic window boxes and things. And you know, it depends on the customer. Sometimes the container sells the plant and other times the plant sells the container. So there are some absolutely gorgeous containers that people pick up and then they'll walk through and try to pair it in that direction. Other times somebody will come in and buy a beautiful banana plant or, you know, some sort of exotic house plant that we might have. And then they're going to go out and just find a container that's going to pair well with it, but not necessarily take away from what the plant looks like. It's really interesting how people will do it, but they, they follow each other, no doubt. If plant sales are up, container sales are up, and vice versa. And for the combinations you're potting up in the store, are you using a particular soil mix, and does it have fertilizer in it, or are you adding that afterwards? Um, the things that we pot up at the store, we use, to be totally honest, we use broken bags of anything that comes out of those areas. So it's usually uh, different companies, Dr. Earth potting mixes, uh, miracle Grow potting mixes. We use a whole lot of ocean forest, which is a uh, Fox farm mix. And we also use a lot of Lambert mixes. So they're very similar to what our farm uses. A peat mix maybe with some bark and perlite in it. That's going to drain pretty well. In general, they don't come with fertilizer in it, but whenever we're repotting, we add Osmocote just to get it through for the customer and then explain that with most containers, they should use a water soluble fertilizer of some kind to just keep it looking good, especially on some of the heavy feeders like the petunias again and the calabricola, sweet potato vine, even though I like to slow them up sometimes, but yeah, 
a lot of those different plants. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, does sweet potato nut vine need fertilizer? Because those could be, mon- so. <laughs> they could be monsters with, when left on their own. Yeah, almost a little bit too much. So that does bring up maintenance when we're talking about some of the monsters that can get a little overgrown in some of your containers and say, you have a combination of bacopa and some sweet potato vine and maybe a petunia or verbena and one starts to take over the pot. So what's your advice on that? Cut it back. Just take a pair of scissors and and just snap it back. Plants come back from it. Um, Years ago before Valley Farms had, we have, um, we have 12 greenhouses over at our farm. We have our glass greenhouse that we retail out of, but we also have a 10,000 square foot house where we bring in everything from the growers, including our own farm, and can take care of them until we need them down at the store. And we order every single day. So it's not like the stuff sits up there very long, but that has saved us from having to maintain plants and cut them back. I remember years ago, we would have petunias just in flats uh, sitting on the ground, you know, far away (laughs) that, that we would just bring down as we needed them. And you'd have 13 days of rain in May and the petunias would be absolute mush. And you're like, what do you do? You can't sell them looking like that. So we put up a lawnmower and we fed the flats of, of petunias underneath the lawnmower, brought them out the other side. And within a week, they were ready to sell again. So we kind of do the same things so for our hanging baskets, maybe get a little out of whack because we've had some rain or they haven't sold to our expectations. We can take those hanging baskets, cut them all back to about three or four inches and, and they're ready to sell again in a couple of weeks. And we tell customers the same thing. If you have some kid that's taken care of your garden or your your containers while you're on vacation, it, it's happened to all of us. You come back and you're like, oh my gosh, they must have missed at least a week of watering. And you know everything, of course, is wet when you get back. But you can go ahead and cut that plant back and it's going to come back. What I usually do is actually cut it back before I go on vacation. If I have things like calabacoa, verbena, petunias, and by the time I get back, they're looking pretty good. Plus, they don't need as much water if there's not as much foliage there to keep them going. That's great advice, Carrie, because, yeah, before you take that late July or August, you know, the hottest part of the summer vacation (laughs) away, that's one of your biggest worries is all those containers and what will happen to them. So, yeah, giving them a drastic haircut is actually good at that point in the season because they're starting to get a little scraggly and overgrown usually too. That right. That's right. And you can usually move them out of full sun maybe and give them a half day so they're not getting that hot afternoon sun and that'll keep them a little bit nicer, a little bit longer. Give them a shot of Osmocote for a second time or a liquid feed and you know, you're golden. You're really going to have a much better looking plant when you get back or in a week or two after that. So mostly we've been talking about annual combinations in containers. So Annuals are also called bedding plants, which is always a funny term to me because <laughs> all plants grow in flower beds, really, in the ground, exactly. if you think about right. it. And then why this this particular type is called bedding plants. But that's really comes, I think, from our Victorian um, forebears that they like to have bedded out just annuals in different patterns and different combinations and you know that's kind of considered old-fashioned now but you still see it a lot especially at commercial locations or you know say at um, a public garden like Longwood you'll still see beautiful annual bedding combinations so let's talk about some of the annuals that do best and maybe some of your favorite combinations for bedding plants. I just just want to mention like when you're talking about bedding plants I remember when I first started at Valley View we got in most of our plants from Ohio Hmm. because they could grow it cheaper I guess than we could and you'd sell a 12 pack of petunias or a 12 you know maybe a six pack of impatience 
for, I hate to say it, it was 99 cents when I started. Um, but, but then, you know, little by little, you got into the individual potted plants and a lot of what we sell right now, our number one size is a four and a half inch pot and it sells for six ninety nine a pot compared to what we sold those other things for. Um, so I think containers and container gardening helped us sell those a little bit by, by showing kind of what's neat and cool. And I know it's way overused the whole thriller filler spiller thing but it kind of works for people. Um, I have people I work with, if they even hear me start to say it, they walk away because they they don't like it. But for <laughs> a newer gardener, it's just helpful. You want mm-hmm. something kind of tall, you want something kind of in the middle, and then you want a hangy wangy plant. You know, it's just, it's kind of simple like that. And if you have a, a special pot and you want to see that pot, then maybe you don't put the spiller in. Maybe you just do some upright plants or anything. So I think you have to talk to the customer find out kind of what they're doing with things. But some of our better combinations that we sell are some of the most simple ones. And I go back, we have um, a geranium planter and it's just three different colors of geraniums, but they all have those big blooms. They have, you know, pink and purple and light pink, and they just look so darn good together. It's, it's hard to beat and they do their job. You do have to go and clean off, you know, deadhead some of those old, flowers and everything, but you go back a month or two after you've planted it, they take the heat, they take a little bit of cold, um, they take water, but it's hard to overwater them really if you have a good container with good drainage. So that still works. Um, the other things, I mean, just all of the different things that I think proven winners really got rolling, but now a lot of other companies are out there doing a lot of the growing, and a lot of the breeding are, are just fantastic. We, we had a lucky bad break about eight years ago when we lost impatience. So impatience succumbed to a disease called downy mildew. And the day we heard about it, we stopped carrying them. We just weren't going to let people do that. And that was a huge going back to a bedding crop. So we had to figure out what we're going to do. That was a huge amount of sales by far and away our number one seller for annuals. So we started selling more begonias and caladiums and uh, other like New Guinea patients that that were more resistant to it. And we got an idea from one of the guys, Dr. Marvin Miller at Ball Seed, and he said to sell drama in the garden. He has a home in West Chicago. He's part of Ball. Um, and he went out and instead of planting impatience, he got an auger for his drilling. He went around and he planted caladium bulbs. And his neighbors just couldn't wait to see what Marvin had in his garden year to year. And it became a, a little bit more fun. So even now that we have impatience back, you know, we have all these other plants. So I, I, I love personally, I love uh, a lot of the monochromatic gardens. I always have several white pots on my back porch because I can see those at night. And I used to love double impatience with Bacopa, with a white caladium, you know, again, simple, whatever pot you put it in because it's white, you kind of don't see the pot at night, but you do see all the plants. So that's very, very cool. I live a ways back from the road. I use begonias a lot. There are some new varieties, newer varieties from Duman called Iconia that are bigger than a lot of the old Rieger begonias. And they have a little bit of a, a little bit of a fall, I want to say. So they kind of come down over the pot, but they're still upright enough that they're a good 12 to 18 inches above that. And you put out a, a yellow Iconia or some of the bright orange ones, and you can see that driving by. And I don't have to put anything with that because it really does the job all by itself. So instead of doing a mixed container, I'll do 
several containers with different things in them. So I might, I have a shady spot in my front yard. So I'll use caladiums and I'll use begonias and I'll use some of the New Guinea patients instead of trying to mix them all in one. And to be honest, it's easier to water that way and a lot of other things. The other plant that I think is fantastic for combinations are all the coleus. There are just so many great varieties out there and bright reds and pinks and greens and yellows. And you can put those in a pot. They're an instant thriller because most of those get to be two feet or taller. And then you can still put begonias in front of them. Or you can put general, you know, again, the New Guinea impatience. Or I don't usually mix Angelonia with them, but you go in and get some of the verbena and some, and even the sweet potato vine. I now stick to all the dwarf varieties because, yeah, you, you <laughs> always kind of mentioned how they can get out of hand. Yeah. But then you can also mix in you know, foliage plants. So we go to the marguerite sweet potato vine. It gets wild. It doesn't do that great in shade. So go in your houseplant section and get a neon pothos. It's going to give you that same color, that bright chartreuse color that you can use and pair that with a coleus that maybe has a little bit of yellow in it. And you can pair it with a New Guinea impatience that has that sort of yellow band in the center of it and just all sorts of fun things you can do. And, and I think the best way to do it is to go into a garden center with your shopping cart and just put things together. Just see what looks good to you. And not to mention that coleus come in sun coleus and the traditional shade ones that right. you know prefer to be in shade. Might get a little crispy around the edges if you put them in afternoon sun, but if you water them well, they should still do in part sun. But all the sun coleus are just fabulous and all those jewel tones and those bright colors that you mentioned that we can combine with other annuals. Yeah, and they've got some uh, varieties that have been out for a while now, but like Burgundy Wedding Train and Lava Rose that are a hanging coleus. So you can use that in some of your combinations too and get that spiller from coleus and do some other things upright. And, and I do okay with them in my pots in part shade. They do okay in full sun if I have a bigger pot. And I know those roots have gone all the way down and taken up as much soil they can. And they are forgiving as long as I put them in a deep enough pot. And where do you fall on the spectrum of snipping off the flowers and pinching back your coleus? Do you let them go wild or do you keep them under control? Uh, depends when <laughs> when it is. Uh, <laughs> everything gets to do whatever it wants in spring because I don't have time, <laughs> so to be honest with you. So, so May and June, they can go to seed. But most of these newer varieties, most of the sun coleus really don't have too much of that seed set like the old seed varieties do, the old wizard rose and, and those. Um, volcano, some of those other ones. But what is kind of fun is to do let some of those go to seed sometimes because, because they're propagated from cuttings. When they do seed, the seed falls and it can end up with a totally different coleus. So that happened to me last year. That was great fun. I planted one called Coleosaurus that got about two feet tall and I didn't get around to breaking off the little blue flowers on the top and they dropped and I had a, a new coleus coming up underneath. It was really kind of fun. That's so fun. Yeah. And I like to let some of them go to flower just because the bees like the flowers. Absolutely. And hummingbirds, surprisingly, like coleus flowers too. I found a lot of that and mm -hmm. they seem to be in flower the same time as my hostas. So I see a lot of, a lot of those guys hanging around my front yard when they're in bloom. Yeah. And speaking of hostas, um, I was going to talk about combining annuals with perennials. So either in the ground or in containers, I could see coleus with um, contrasting hostas and uh, other shade-loving perennials like the begonias and the impatiens you mentioned. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, my front yard, I overplanted trees when I moved in here. I'd never lived anywhere this long. 
and I ended up with a pretty deep shaded area. I'm also in deer country. So most of my shrubs and everything are deer resistant. Things like um, osmanthus and the plum use, a lot of hellebores, hostas are not. But I needed to have hostas because I love some of the brighter colors they came in. And in that dark shade, they really popped. So it was nice to have that. And then, you know, as you said, plant impatience and begonias and other things around them. And, I, you know, again, same, same deal goes for the, the containers. It's nice to have that in there. The other kind of cool thing is if you get one, maybe you planted a container in late summer and it's still doing pretty well into fall you get to about November and you're kind of looking at the perennials and you can take them out then and go ahead and put them in your garden. You still have time to plant perennials as long as the soil is not frozen for in most cases. So you get, I, I don't know, you get an extra season, I think, out of a lot of the perennials. I have uh, black eyed Susans because you're required by law in Maryland to have them in your garden. Um, so <laughs> I do have, I had that coming up in a big pot I had out front. It's probably about four feet by about two feet. And I just can't take it out of there because it does its job every year and anything I put into it kind of has to go with it. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not taking it out. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of perennial grasses or even annual grasses that you can combine with those annual flowers. In addition to some of those um, perennials or that act almost like annuals, like some of the more um, brightly colored echinacea or something. Oh, yeah annual rudbeckia and then i see and i don't know how much that you all carry this these short sunflowers that seem to be bred more for annual combinations than say as a bedding or a plant to put in the ground that's true and they've gotten better so what what the first few years we carried a lot of what i'd call dwarf sunflowers they got one big flower on them or whatever they'd get a couple big flowers on them those flowers would go away and then you just get little flowers after that so a lot of the new varieties now from Sunfinity to, to um, I'll, of course, can't think of the other names, but they continue to bloom for much, much longer. Now, that being said, depending on what kind of a gardener you are, a lot of those sunflowers are pollenless. So they're while they'll bring bees and things in and they'll kind of play with them a little bit, there's no pollen. So they're not going to really do much for the native environment for people that are concerned about that. But they're still pretty. And, you know, they, they kind of do some, some other good stuff. But if you want them as a way to bring in more pollinators, uh, watch the varieties you're going to plant and make sure you have them that are not pollenless to, to double check on it. Uh, but there really are a lot of beautiful varieties out there and they make great cuts. So a lot of people, and I'm that way, I love to have mm-hmm. flowers that I can cut and bring to other people when yep. I'm invited over or even have some on my dining room table or whatever. That works out great for me. Yeah, I was thinking about the celosia you mentioned before, which makes a great bedding plant in the ground and also great container, either thriller or or filler, but also great for cutting and great for even having as a dried flower later on. Yeah, and that's the other thing. So a lot of people garden to garden. I mean, they want to get down and, and, and get dirty and really watch things grow. But a lot of people are gardening for decoration too. So I see that a lot in the fall. So again, my little containers that I have out front, and I see a lot of a lot of our customers doing it. I might get some corn stalks and put behind them, and get some fun shaped pumpkins and different things. But I like that my echinacea might still be in bloom, and the black eyed susan's still going strong, and maybe some of those perennial sedums are are really showing some color, and it kind of brings all that together. So you can still have a fall theme. And we were talking about having some of that late summer color. So you can throw a couple mums in there, but your petunias. You know, look for colors that 
that are fall colors, maybe some of the burgundies or oranges or yellows. And several years ago, one of the companies came out with a program called Fall Magic, and they did a lot of that. So they took a lot of those colors that are a little bit more for fall, a lot of the both perennial and annual grasses that, that you were talking about, and put them together. And the one that cracks me up more than any of it is a plant called Lismachia, the Creeping Jenny. Mm-hmm. That's probably our single best-selling four-and-a-half-inch pot. And anybody who has grown that knows you only have to plant one once. And you probably <laughs> have it forever and ever and ever. Exactly. It's a great, great ground cover, but also great for spilling out of containers and just tucking in any space that you need something filled in. Yeah. And, and it's just as another one of those spillers. So it doesn't get as massive as the sweet potato vine. Um, another plant called dichondra that usually comes in, we sell most of it as sort of a silver gray. It's mm-hmm. great because not only do they spill, but they go out and they like hang straight down. There's no mm-hmm. fluff to it. They just, it's almost like a drapery at the end of your container, just the way they come straight on down. I, I love using those. Yeah, I definitely have to always buy dichondra every year just to have in a couple places draping over. And the great thing about dichondra is wherever it hits the ground, if you let it, <laughs> it makes a new baby. And yeah. so it's easy to, at the midpoint in the season to shift some of that around and move it to different places. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so other things that we can pull into our annual combinations, I was thinking about herbs and veggie plants that are both attractive and edible. What are some of your favorites for that? I love lettuce um, for a lot of different reasons. We have grown one on our own before everybody started kind of mix them together where we put in uh, like two green leaf, two red leaf and two romaine lettuce in a pack because those were our three best sellers and everybody didn't need six of one. So that became a really good seller. And then over the years, a lot of the seed companies come out with mixes like mescaline mix and um, what do I want to say? Bistro mix, several others. And they're just kind of fun because you can tuck those in the front of your planters and, you know, you can go and harvest those. And most of your leaf lettuces, as long as you leave that heart there in the center of the plant, you can take out all those outside leaves, go ahead and eat them, (laughs) you know, have some fun and they'll keep coming up until we get into about midsummer and then they slow down a little bit. Herbs are wonderful, and an awful lot of the herbs are also great pollinators. So I put out several what I'll call sacrificial parsley every year because every time I go out there, the swallowtails have got to them. Mm-hmm. But it's it's great to see that and to use dill and fennel and some of those other things that the pollinators just really, really love. But at the same time, growing things like lavender and rosemary that you can, again, bring inside. You can use it for cooking or potpourri or teas, whatever you might want to. And they're just so many cool ones. We had little kids come in several years ago and I'm just, I had them come over and just like taste some of the herbs. So we started with like stevia and they're like, how great is that? You know, this is sugar. And they were really excited and then handed out some mint to all the kids. And this one kid just looks at me and says, that's my toothpaste. Is that what my toothpaste is made out of? And it was just nice to see that connection. And then you handed out some oregano and same thing happened. Well, pizza, this is, this is pizza. Um, but it's nice to mix some of those and we carry probably a hundred or so different herbs at different times during this time of the year, we probably carry 20 year round and we probably have 120 right now, but golden marjoram and Thai basil and lemon basil and the dwarf fennel or, you know, any of this stuff is just fun. It's just fun to grow. Or you have the little mini marigolds, the little edible marigolds that are, that are wonderful that we do in our herb section, or maybe people are trying to grow coriander and they're having a hard time cilantro coriander they're going to see too fast we carry a vietnamese coriander that's a nice little viney type but it gives you that same taste different texture 
but it can be used in all the same dishes that you can you use cilantro and coriander in. Um, I okay. think of the Mexican mint marigolds make a great substitute for tarragon that some people have trouble growing. So these are all just kind of some cool, fun plants that you can add into your containers. I do all my herbs in an earth box. It's just a great way for me to grow them. They're right outside my door when I do need them. And I can just go pull them right off the plant and go with it. But again, parsley, in make, using that as a filler maybe instead of something else you might use is, is sort of fun. And you mentioned bringing some of your houseplants into your annual combinations and some of the lime green pothos. And of course, dracaena as that middle spike and that old fashioned combination with geranium. Oh. And that can be, you know, potted back up and brought in as a houseplant when it's of danger of frost outside. Are there other houseplants you use? Oh, all sorts of them. Yeah. I, I used to love using the Arbicola, which is like the dwarf chapillera. And there's a variety that's sort of a yellow and green mix. And that does great. It does great outside. And the, those plants love our summer. So you put them outside, use some of the different ficus that you can grow outside. One year I decided I wasn't going to do color at all. I was just going to do white and green. And it was really one of my favorite gardens in my back patio because I used the variegated ficus and um, just come up with some kind of fun things. And other other kind of crossovers that are tropical, but can also be used as houseplants, things like um, the white White bird of paradise just have such beautiful, long, arching, split leaf, just a good architectural plant. Uh, we've probably seen enough of ficus lorata, the fiddle leaf fig, for a while, but that's still very popular. I unfortunately have about a 10 foot Norfolk Island pine in my family room. I don't have a very big house, so <laughs> it's taking up probably a quarter of that space in there. But these plants all love it outside and do, do fine on their own. But I've seen a lot more mixes at some of the box stores where they have a snake plant with a diplodenia or, you know, it sometimes seems odd to me, but I think to get people into gardening, that might be the way in. A lot of the millennials especially have latched onto houseplants and are all over Instagram um, touting some of the benefits that they found with houseplants. Succulents, I, I'd, I'd tell you that that trend is over, but it's not. We sell as many as we ever have. It just seems to go on and on and on. So you can take Again, some of your succulents maybe and pair them with a bedding plant like portulaca that's going to take some of the same care or like lantana that's going to like it hot and dry. Uh, a lot of the same same things that a lot of your succulents would like. And if the lantana dies at the end of the season, you can certainly bring those succulents in and grow them in windowsills you know, for, for most of the year and just just have fun with it. I guess that's the main thing. And definitely fun is the main thing. I would say, you know, that's where you can bring your creativity in and just have a lot less commitment because, right, it's annuals. Right, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, and you can change up your color scheme every year. I like to do that and try different color combinations that I haven't and not just do the same every year, at, you know, that I've done from previous years. Right, and that's always been my argument. I, I, uh, I had a friend... We lived together for several years. Her name was Jan, fantastic gardener, just put me to shame. And she absolutely loved it. It was not just her, she worked at Valley View. So it was her vocation and her avocation. She has since retired, moved down with the grandkids in Southern Maryland. But what what we did, what where we made a mistake is we, well, I made a mistake, she didn't. Uh, we probably had eight different garden beds around the house and I would plant annuals and she would plant perennials. And we'd switch off every year. Well, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, wait a minute all eight beds have perennials in them now. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so you start doing pots and doing other other things to bring annuals back into the picture. Because like you said, I, 
I want to try these new varieties. You know, we have some beautiful petunias this year called crazy tunias that are these really cool colors, some purple and whites and magenta and some are called like blackberry cheesecake. Just, just fantastic. And I want to see what they do. And the only way to really do that is to plant them in my yard and, and watch them for a season and see which ones I'm going to like. I love the the headliner series. They're called like night sky and crystal sky and pink sky. And I love all those. They're the ones that are dark and then they look like somebody took a paintbrush with white paint and put like just splashes of paint on them. And they're great, but as soon as it's hot, that the, the spots go away. So you kind of want to warn people about that, that, hey, this spring, while it's nice and cool, you're going to have that definition of those white spots. But come July when it's 90 degrees, you might not see it as much, but it'll revert again in the fall when it gets cooler again. Good point. Yeah. And plants change from day to day and week to week. And of course, different um, sunlight on them. And as you said, if you're at work all day, seeing them at night is going to be a different experience. Um, and on the weekend, you can show, the, you know, see them at different aspects as well. So um, wrapping up, we want to let our listeners know how they can get in contact with you, how they can find out more about Valley View Farm. And we can't forget to let them know about your segments on Baltimore TV. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, uh, we do a TV segment called Sunday Gardener. We work with the meteorologist at WBAL-TV. Uh, so now we're doing those spots with Ava Marie and Tony Pan. My longtime partner in that, John Collins, retired some years ago, but he was the one, we got that started. It's probably going on almost 30 years now. So that was fun. And then we do some advertising that we kind of added to that. So not always my favorite thing is the out and out, you know, telling people what's great about this product and that product, but still, still kind of fun. Uh, but the other thing we do is, is this Sunday Gardener segment usually runs about 920 on Sundays. And it's just a short two and a half, three minute segment. And we talk about everything gardening. So it can be pollinators or tomatoes or houseplants, any of that sort of thing. Um, so you can see that. I mean, you can YouTube any of that stuff and find it on YouTube or whatever. I get a Google alert on it. So I assume it's on Google sometimes too, or on WBAL's website. Sometimes I share it on our website or our Facebook page. So those are a couple of ways to get in touch with us. One, you can go through our website. Uh, we do find that a lot more people use the Facebook page to, to go back and forth and more and more the Instagram page. We never really got into Twitter. We do have two Instagram accounts. One is one of the guys that's really into houseplants has, has a page just on houseplants. So when we get that rare pink princess philodendron we might throw that on there and you know they're all gone in an hour um but in general you can keep up with a lot of what we're carrying or what the trends are on instagram a little bit better than going right to our website and that's valley view farms plural valley view farms plural and you can reach me at carrie at valleyviewfarms.com go through our website there's a contact us page or if you have a general plant question it usually comes to me anyway Great. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for sharing some of that insider information about how annuals come to the garden center and make it to our gardens and some of those great new introductions that we'll have to try out this year. Any last thoughts on annual combinations? I don't think so. I think a lot of it is, you know, once you sort of know the rules, you can break them. So if you want to do all tall plants or all short plants, you can do it, marry it to a container you like. And, I, you know, the main thing is going to be maintenance. But what's great about annuals, if it doesn't work, you pull it out, you put another one in, and you're good to go. Thank you, Carrie. 
Thank you very much, Kathy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Summer Snowflake Plant Profile Summer Snowflake, Lacogum ostibum, resembles a tall snowdrop, but this bulb blooms in mid-spring and lasts for several weeks. A similar species is the Spring Snowflake, Lacogum vernum, which is a tad shorter and blooms a bit earlier. The pretty blooms of Summer Snowflake are a cluster of bell-shaped flowers at the end of a tall scape that dances gracefully when moved in a breeze. The strappy foliage is similar to that of daffodils. It originates in Europe and is also known as the Laden lily. It spreads by expanding in clumps and can naturalize if allowed to recede. Deadhead the flower stems if you do not want that to occur. Although still relatively unknown and underused, it makes a good addition to any garden. It looks great mass-planted along pathways and at the front of flower beds. Summer Snowflake is popular with pollinators. It is a member of the Amaryllis family and is poisonous to eat, so is deer plus rabbit resistant. It does best in sun to part shade. It tolerates damp places, such as near ditches or on the edge of a pond, where other bulbs will rot and disappear. Summer Snowflake, you can grow that. What's new this week? Well, the interns and I harvested radishes, lettuce, and asparagus over at the community garden plot. In my home garden, we had two nights that hit at least frost level, if not freezing, and my lilacs were very unhappy about it. But a lot of my daffodils and tulips are hanging on and looking great because of these cool temps lately. In the local gardening world, we have some upcoming events I wanted to let you know about. First is an outdoor garden event at the Volmer Center at Silburn Arboretum in Baltimore, Maryland on Tuesday, May 10th, being hosted by the Maryland Horticultural Society. It's their annual tool drive, and you can bring anything from gloves to hand tools to heavy equipment. They posted their list on the MD Hort Society website, so check that out. In Washington, D.C. at the U.S. National Arboretum, you can attend the annual Bonsai Festival on May 6th through 8th and also at the Bonsai Pavilion on May 14th, you can celebrate World Bonsai Day by learning to draw bonsai with local artist Mary Ellen Carsley. Down in Richmond, the Lewis Ginter 
Garden is having their Spring Plant Fest plant sale. And that's Friday, May 13th and Saturday, May 14th from 9 to 3 p.m. The Great Falls Garden Club is hosting a garden tour on Saturday, June 4th from 10 to 3. You can find out more about that at gfgardenclub.org. There's going to be eight gardens on that tour. It sounds like a lot of fun. The Washington Youth Garden back at the U.S. National Arboretum is celebrating their 50th anniversary all year long, and they're having their birthday party on Saturday, June 11th at 11 a.m. That's a free community event, and then the next day they're having a benefit party. So you can find out more about both of those Washington Youth Garden celebrations at fona.org or just Google Washington Youth Garden. And speaking of the U.S. National Arboretum, I am going to be there all day on Saturday, April 30th as part of the Fona Garden Fair. If you're hearing this podcast in time, I'm there till 4 p.m. with a booth for Washington Gardener Magazine and signing and selling our new book, The Urban Garden. Happy gardening! crafty gardener like myself, I want to introduce you to Let's Make Art. I do a lot of DIY projects in the garden, from painting my garden gloves, to creating kokodama, to pouring my own stepping stones. And there's a company that can make it easier for you. Let's Make Art is a revolutionary crafting company that aims to help everyone to channel their inner artist, whether they're three or 63. With the assortment of products and subscription offers, there's an endless opportunity, fun and access to easy to understand tutorials and resources for everyone to learn a craft or take up a hobby. Anyone can have art supplies delivered right to their door in the form of monthly subscriptions, project kits, and supplies for a variety of activities. You can start learning basic lettering techniques to get your more familiar with your abilities with hand lettering for that garden journal you might be keeping. You can also shop all the best lettering supplies, boxes, and kits curated and approved by in-house artists. There's free weekly art journaling tutorials by art journaling artists and instructors. Everyone can join with their supplies at home. Grab the prepackaged kits or get all the videos first with an art journal box subscription. Learn from watercolor artists and instructors. Whether you're a total beginner or you've mastered the arts, let's make art takes the guesswork out of watercolor and creates easy and fun kits. The only thing you'll need is a brush. Let's make art simple together. Check out Let's Make Art today by going to our special link zen.ai forward slash garden dc. That's zen.ai forward slash garden dc. Happy crafting!
In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jentz and Terry Spite, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space, while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City, comes out this spring. You can pre-order it now at Amazon.com and Bookshop.org. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.